Merry Christmas. I've been I've been so pumped about Christmas. It's, it's been a good Christmas season this year. How are y'all doing? Blessed. Blessed. Great. Some are kind of okay. <laughs> so y'all uh y'all remember what we touched on uh last week? We hit uh we talked about hopelessness. And um so we touched on some various things that uh that you or the people around you are experiencing hopelessness about. And um one of those answers that uh some people are experiencing hopelessness about was uh the next generation. Many in the older generations are feeling hopeless about the next generation. Can we talk about that? That's a uh, let's get into that. Why is that? Why is there hopelessness about the next generation? Um if you noticed, there's division in every single realm of our world today. And um and this has also affected the generations. When I was younger, uh, there wasn't a disdain for the older generation like there is today. And there wasn't as much of a disdain for my younger generation as we see today. Um, I didn't feel the disdain from the older generation when I was, when I was a kid. And, um, but we can see it today. Um, you hear expressions like, uh, how many of you have heard the expression, okay, boomer? All right, I hate that phrase because what it expresses is you belong to this group of people that are different from me, and because you are part of that group of people, I'm going to dismiss everything you say because there's no worth in your mind or heart. It's It's satanic. It's um, all summed up in those two little words. There's a, um, there's a lack of honor that we are destroying, there that society is being destroyed. Um, one of the biggest delusions that, that is in society today is the belief that you can shout down your opponent and silence them, and then we'll have love, peace, and unity after that. That is delusional thinking. That's completely delusional. Um, and as the as the generations cultivate dishonor and division among each other, um, you can't expect that the future generations will cultivate love and honor and dignity between each other. It's um it's up to us today to cultivate unity among the generations and the generational differences among us. Um, in the midst of the division today, the body of Christ demonstrates to the world what unity looks like. God has given it to us, his church, to show the world what his unity looks like. It's, it's our responsibility, while the world is crumbling under division, to show unity. And we start with us, right? 
Um, so something that plagues the culture today is offense. So offense happens when I have built my identity and significance and my worth on a shaky foundation. Anything that is not of the kingdom of God, all right? So if I base my identity in a belief system, a political ideology, a theology, or my favorite sports team, then anything, anytime the basis for my identity is attacked or threatened, I will take offense to it. Offense is generally rooted in fear. So when I'm, uh, when I'm secure in my identity as a much-loved child of God, you will find it impossible to offend me. When I'm, when I'm secure in my identity as a much-loved child of God, it's impossible to offend me if I'm in that place. Whoa. <laughs> Exclamation point. There is available to us a peace that deflects all offense. Mr. T said, we can't be offended if we're dead. Can't argue with that. <laughs> so, there's this divide in the older and younger generations. It doesn't matter who started it, it's there. Now, what do we do about it? I'm supposed to be talking about Christmas. Told you I was going to talk about Christmas, so here it is. Johnny and Debbie's been posting on Facebook all their uh, nativity sets. And um, I love nativity sets. So how, how do the, um, the truths of Christmas get displayed? For my nativity set at home, since I'm a big thinker, I like to have a uh, theological treatise of, um, of the divinity and humanity of Christ. Okay, that's, that's ridiculous. We don't do that. Why, why don't we do that? Um, it's the scene. We put up a scene from the Christmas story. We put up a scene. Nobody looks to theology to remind them of the story. They remember the story to remind themselves about the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Right? right? So um, when we remember what God has done for us, we remember the story. And by remembering the images of that story, we receive the timeless truths that we build our lives upon. We, when we remember the testimony of what God did, we bring our mind into alignment with his nature. So how do, how do, we, how do we remember his death? We use the images of breaking bread and drinking the wine to remember what he did. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And the more we actively remember what he did through us, being able to see and taste and even smell, the more we come into alignment with what he accomplished on the cross. He became for us the king on the cross, and the more we remember that, the more king he becomes in our hearts. Right? (laughs) 
I, I got a, I had, I could, I had two sermons, but I had to, had to condense it. So how do we remember his birth? We place little scenes of Bethlehem on the mantle above the fireplace, and we put it on tables. We even put it out in the yard. We look at these images, and we remember that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We look at the, we look at the shepherds and the kings, and we remember that he came for us all. No one is excluded. We look at the barn and the manger, and we remember that the king came in humility. We look at the angel figurine, and we awe at the truth that the angels in heaven rejoiced at his coming to us. We look at the baby, and we realize that God became flesh and had to nurse from his mother's breast He had a real human experience. He had to cry when he wanted milk. He had to learn how to regulate his emotions as a toddler. What what would that have looked like for the Son of God? And uh, he had to learn how to honor his father and mother. He had to learn how to transition from boyhood into manhood. And he had to learn how to work with his hands to be a builder. And he did it all perfectly. Um, so this nativity set is, um, this was, um, this is my childhood nativity set. So my, um, my mom used to put this up when I was a kid. It was a, uh, <clears throat> it was, it's, it looks realistic. Um, it's one with all the characters in a stable and it was surrounded. It's got moss in there. The moss used to be green when I was a kid, but now it's turned brown cause it's over. It's almost 50 years old. It's 45 to 50 years old. And, um, it's got the angel at the top of the barn. But this little nativity scene has left, left a, a lasting imprint on me. Um, it, it was a powerful image to me. And whenever I think of Christmas, this specific nativity set is one of the first things that comes to my mind. Um, it's my favorite one because it's what gave me the, the powerful images of the word becoming flesh. Uh, when, when I was a kid, I would, I would stand and I would look and I would just kind of think about all the little details. Um, I think about the wise men traveling across the desert and I look at the expressions on the shepherd faces and um, wonder about what they saw while they were keeping their flocks at night. Y'all, that's what it's supposed to do. That's... It's not just a decoration, it's a, it's a declaration. Um, we, we are proclaiming that God is with us. He's here. The Christ has come. That's what nativity sets do. That's, that's why we put them up. They're not just decorations. So I've been thinking recently about the Christmas story in Luke, and it struck me that we often overlook a major part of the Christmas story. So there's one character that's neglected in all of our nativity scenes. Can anyone think who that character might be that's absent? Can I get any guesses? I know what you're thinking. That's not it. I'm thinking of something else. It's not a dragon. 
Do you ever think of John the Baptist whenever you think of Christmas? Is he much of a, is he much of a thought that comes to your mind? Um, John the Baptist was actually just as smart of the Christmas story as much as any other character. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the Magi, and John the Baptist. Have you ever thought about that? Um, part of the Christmas story was the birth of John the Baptist. Why is that? What is it about John the Baptist that he was included in the Christmas story? So the story means something. John the Baptist, he, he meant something to Luke, who, who, wrote it, who wrote it all out. Um, so we're going to read out of Luke chapter 1 today. So if you got your Bibles, let's go there. Starting at verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he, as he, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the, un- uh, to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak, because the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So, right there, when you kind of just read it, you kind of gloss over what actually is happening. When an angel from heaven appears to Zechariah and announces him some good news, he says, how can I know this? And I kind of picture Gabriel saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And 
I'd be pretty mad if I, I mean, I don't, but anyway. So Zechariah annoys Gabriel and he causes him to be mute until, until John was born. Let's finish reading it. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed at the amazed that he stayed in, this long, in so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days, to take away my disgrace from among the people. So you have the angel coming and announcing the birth of John the Baptist. And right after that, you have verse 26. The angel comes and announces to Mary the birth of her son, Jesus. So let's read that one. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply disturbed by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Have any of you ever had someone come to you and say, Rejoice, the Lord is with you, and you were disturbed. Angels must be pretty creepy. I don't know. They must be kind of scary. They're always telling people in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It probably wasn't a chubby little baby with wings. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? Is the angel going to give her the same reply as Zechariah? The angel replied to her with a gentle explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. All right, that was a lot of that was a lot of reading. Thanks for hanging in there. Have you ever uh, have you ever thought about how significant it must have been for an angel to announce the birth of John the Baptist? So let's kind of think through what's happening here. And an angel comes to Zechariah, and now he's an old man, and his wife 
or they're too old to have children. They don't have any children, and they've prayed to God for a child, but it never happened. She was barren. She couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't conceive and have child. And then the angel announces that Elizabeth will conceive through a miracle of God. God waited to answer their prayer until it was even more impossible for her to conceive. They waited till she was very old, or he waited till she, they were very old. And now, the angel comes to Mary, and she's a virgin. Again, impossible to conceive. And he announces to her that she will also conceive through a miracle of God. But she's a young virgin has never been intimate with a man. How? A miracle of God. Now, do you remember what the angel said about John the Baptist? The angel pulled from the very last prophetic word in the Old Testament. Let's look at um, Malachi 4, Malachi chapter 4, 5 and 6. It's right before Matthew, Malachi 4 verse 5. Look, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So if God doesn't come and restore the hearts of the children to their parents, then he would come and strike the land with a curse. But he promised us that he would send us Elijah the prophet so that he didn't have to strike the land with a curse. He would restore the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to the hearts of their children. Now, what, looking back at Luke chapter 1, he, it's in verse Luke 1, 16, says he, being John the Baptist, this is, the, this is what the angel is announcing about John the Baptist, he will turn away, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This nativity set. This nativity set that uh, my, mom, my mom gave that to me this Christmas. And um, it's a piece of the spiritual inheritance in my family. She got it before my oldest brother was born. And um, she got the uh, stable and the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And then uh, she, added, she added more. And then my paternal grandmother gave her, gave her the, uh, the camels with the, and, the, and the wise men. This is a spiritual inheritance to me. My mom prepared the way for Jesus. So she made me ready, and she prepared me to receive Jesus when one day he would reveal himself to me. 
she was like a, uh, she was a John the Baptist to me. She's back there in the back. She made me ready. <laughs> so this is why we celebrate Christmas, because he's here. And we are making ready the way for the Lord to come to a prepared people. But how did John the Baptist do this? How did he actually restore the generations together? Zechariah, an old man, his wife advanced in years, they prayed and they labored in the spirit realm for a child to be born. Mary, a young unmarried woman, was not praying for a child. She was not laboring in petition to the Lord for a child. And what the elder generation labored for and produced is what prepared the way for what the younger generation produced. So, Without what the elder generation worked for and labored for, the Lord would have struck the land with a curse. But because of what they did and who they were, the Lord instead caused a light to dawn on the people living in darkness. Because of what my mom labored for in prayer, she made ready the way of the Lord a prepared generation for me and my brothers. Had I dishonored my parents and their generation, I would have missed it. And I wouldn't have been able to receive it. And had my parents dishonored me and my generation, no one would have ever prepared me for the Lord, and I would have missed it. So a lot of people are feeling hopeless about the next generation. But the next generation isn't lost like some people may believe. A lot of people think that, but this generation is not lost. The next generation is actually a generation that is being prepared. The next generation is not lost. The church is making ready for the Lord a prepared people, a prepared generation. This is how we can have hope this Christmas. Jesus is building his church. And if we honor the next generation, then we can have hope that they are a prepared people for the Lord to manifest in this world. Remember that you have permission to be hopeless about whatever God is hopeless about. Is he hopeless about the coming generations? No, because he knows that they are being, that a way is being made ready for him to manifest himself in a prepared people. Worship team, if y'all can come on up. The uh, the church is the is the body of Christ on earth. We are the word made flesh for a world in darkness. 
And if we are dishonoring amongst ourselves, the world will not recognize that such a great light has dawned upon them, right? In their darkness. We stand here in the light and we mock and dishonor the world for living in darkness. When we mock a generation living in darkness instead of honoring them, we are missing it. <laughs> we, we need to approach each other with this attitude. I choose to love you and neither my feelings nor your behaviors will sway me from that choice. I'm going to say that one more time. I choose to love you and neither my feelings nor your behaviors will sway me from that choice. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs twenty twenty nine. it says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray hair. I would suggest that this can be practical. We honor the strengths in the younger generations, and we honor the wisdom and the experience in the older generations. We, um, we have a communion is ready for us. We're going to go take communion together. Um, what I would suggest you do is find a younger, a younger man or woman or find an older man or woman, wherever fits you. Join together with them. Take, take communion with them. It might stretch you a little bit, but that's okay. Let's take communion together in unity, old and young, and remember what Jesus did for us and remember what he will continue to do for the church and what he has done for all generations. As this word, I hope, has gone deep, deep within your soul, <clears throat> and it will bear fruit. So, the Lord bless you as we recognize this celebration of the coming of the Messiah, the long-awaited promise that felt like it was never going to get here. And yet, the light broke through the darkness, and so the blessing that I offer you is this. Let every heart prepare him room. Room in your home. Room in your family. Room in your fellowship. Room in your conflict. Room in the uncomfortable moments and those moments of offense that happen when family gets together so often. Let your heart open to receive him and the power of the Holy Spirit will allow you to release that which might offend you. The power of the Holy Spirit will enable you to demonstrate the honor of for the younger generation and the honor of the older generation. And heaven and earth will rejoice together. Let heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Merry Christmas. That's it. <laughs>